All right, 1 John chapter 1. The whole theme of 1 John is going deeper with Jesus. We introduced that idea last week. And John, he wrote the last five books of the New Testament at a time uh, when the false teaching of Gnosticism was luring people from the truth. It was keeping people from going deeper with the Lord. And so this son of thunder, his passion for people led him to write this first letter so that instead of being lured off the path by false teaching, we would experience the joyful satisfaction of going deeper in our relationship with the Lord. And now as we get to verses 5 through 7, John is going to accomplish that task by clearly laying out two possible paths that are in front of us. One path is darkness and one path is light. One path is all talk and one path is a walk. So chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, John says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. John has already told us, he said, listen, that which we have seen and heard we declare unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, there is a group out there that's offering you something that will not satisfy. But what I'm going to share with you will allow your joy to be full. The word there, to be full, it means your joy will remain full. You will be fulfilled regularly. You will be satisfied in life. And that's important because a lot of times our Christianity, at least the way we can approach it or a church can approach it, is very similar to the Gnostics, where they would say, well, that's not enough. You need the special thing you get from being a part of our group. And so sometimes we can approach our Christianity like that, where we kind of, the music hypes us up and the pastor hypes us up and the crowd hypes us up. And we're there on Sunday, we're like, yeah, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. And then, you know, by Tuesday, we're like, out of gas. Or it works the other way, from the same idea, but from a different perspective, where it's like, ugh, I, like I need to go get my weekly beating just so I can finally get it right. And we show up on Sunday, and, and we're like, all right, I'm ready, pastor, hit me hard. And the pastor's like, I'm going to hit you hard. And he just whoops the people, whoops the sheep, beats the sheep. All services are like, yeah, that's what I needed. Now I'm ready to get born again again. But then by Tuesday, you've already blown it and failed. Christianity does not operate on a battery type of principle where if you just put enough juice in, it might get me through the week until I get back. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity works on the connection principle. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit and that fruit will remain. The idea is that we have something available to us at all times that if we will go deeper into that, we can be fulfilled our joy can remain, we can be satisfied. And John is writing that we would experience that joyful satisfaction of going deeper in our relationship with the Lord. So in verse 5, he says, this then, in order to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus and the Father, and in order for our joy to remain full, this is the direction John is going to take us. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. 
That word is, it means always is. This is always the truth. This is always the message. This is always the path to going deeper with Jesus. It never changes. I don't know who originally said it, but famous pastors and teachers throughout history have quoted it, which is this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. I don't need new revelation. I don't need some new experience with God that will all of a sudden make me fulfilled. And that's what the Gnostics claimed. You needed new revelation. You needed new experiences to go deeper with the Lord. John says, this is the only message you need. This is the message which we have heard from him and we're declaring it to you. We're passing it on. It came from Jesus, the word of life that he mentioned in verse one. The one who has life in and of himself and who offers it to us. The one who is the source of all truth for all men. This is the content of what Jesus taught, not just me, but other men, other women, other people that we've been sharing with you. This is the content of what Jesus taught us, and now I'm passing it on to you. It's a content that never changes, and it is the path. There is no other to going deeper with Jesus. So what is it? The message is this, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John first explains who God is, and then who God is not. Who is God? Well, he says he is light. Literally, God, in the Greek, it says literally, God, light is. In other words, John is not saying that God is like light. That's not what he's saying. This is not a metaphor. God is light. God's very nature, his essence, and his character is light. Everything you and I can think of in creation, when we think of the word light, whether it's physical or spiritual, it is just something that flows out from him. In the very beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Because God doesn't need stars and sun to have light. He is light. A.T. Robertson said this, he said, Light is immaterial, diffusive, pure, and glorious. It is the condition of life. Physically, it represents glory. When you see light, it's, it's, you know, wow. Intellectually, it represents truth. Morally, it represents holiness. And as immaterial, it corresponds to God as a spirit. As diffusive, it corresponds to God as love. And as the condition of life, it corresponds to God as life. As pure and illuminating, it corresponds to God as holy. There are too many scriptures to mention this morning that talk about God clothing himself in light, surrounding himself in light. God covers himself and he is surrounded by glory, truth, and holiness. He is the source of life and of love and of truth. And he has invited us into his awesome light through his son, Jesus Christ. But when we're describing who God is, we need to understand that his light has no darkness at all. Darkness does not exist in his light. So he tells us who God is not. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Or literally, darkness does not exist in him, no, not one bit, or no, not at all. Now, what does he mean by darkness here? Well, Bible writers use this word to describe the sphere of evil, sin, lies, and death. In other words, Washington, D.C. Just kidding. Bible writers use this word to describe the sphere of evil, 
sin, lies, and death. Nothing in God ever dies. God isn't tainted in any way by death or evil or sin or lies. God is good and God is true in every way. God is life and God is love and rightness in every way. Therefore, every problem that humanity has ever had is the result of humanity's darkness. There is no sin, there's no wrongdoing or mistakes with God. His nature, his essence, and character do not contain even a scrap of darkness. Now, I say that, and I'm sure the enemy may be even already working on some of your hearts going, yeah, but. The enemy constantly challenges this truth, and he has done so from the very beginning. If we look back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden where everything is good, everything is perfect, God had said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And the only thing he said was not good, he fixed when he created woman. Remember that next time, men. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, where everything is perfect, it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." God isn't good, Eve. He's holding out on you. God isn't true, Eve. He lied to you about what would happen if you eat from this tree. God instead is evil, Eve. He has the knowledge of evil, and until you know the same, you'll be inferior to Him. When you talk to most atheists today, the argument that they make is not like a scientific argument, well, I can't see God, so how can He be there? I'm not saying no atheist would ever bring that up, but generally speaking, an atheist argues from the point of a philosophical argument today. They would argue that human beings are more righteous than the God of the Bible, that I'm better than the God of the Bible, you're better than the God of the Bible. Now, when you ask them about, oh, why is evil in the world then, they will say, well, no one's perfect. In fact, their rationalization is that because it's possible for a flawed person, since all of us aren't perfect, it's possible for a flawed person to be better than the God as it's described in the Bible, well, then that means God must be inferior to and worse than all the darkness that exists in our world. And they would conclude, therefore, that such a God is too low and too evil and too flawed to exist, or that if He does exist, He is not worthy of serving. This has been from the beginning what the enemy tries to do. That's why the Bible says consistently over and over again, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy, His love, that Justin talked about this morning, His loyal love endures forever. It's a truth. This message that Jesus gave when He walked the earth and that John is passing on to us is that God is not evil or flawed. He is far higher than all of His creation, perfect in every way. And in light of that, I can't say I'm going deeper with Him if I'm living in darkness verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him 
the one who is light, and there's no scrap of darkness in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, John says we lie and we do not the truth. The word here, if, there are four ways you can do an if-then statement in the language of the New Testament. This one is the third way, and it means a more probable future condition. For example, if I say, well, if pigs fly, da 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 pigs are never going to fly. I mean, I don't think so. It would be a different way to do an if-then statement. This is something that John thinks is likely to occur. So when he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, then what John is saying is that I think it's likely some in the church will do this. They will say that they have fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. So in other words, this is appropriate for us to be talking about. So what is the claim? Well, the claim is I have fellowship with God, but at the same time I'm walking in darkness. Have there means to presently possess. I presently possess this deep relationship with God, and I'm going deeper with Him. All is well between me and God. I'm currently getting closer to Him. He says, it is very likely that some in the church will claim that they're going deeper with the Lord, they're close with the Lord, while at the same time walking in darkness. So what is walking in darkness? Well, it means in the darkness conducting my life. John certainly has the influence of Gnosticism in mind when he writes this. The antinomian sect of Gnosticism believe that since your flesh is evil, since all matters evil, then you have to abuse it. Holiness and godliness cannot change the flesh at all. So the best thing to do is abuse the flesh through indulging it until you kill it. And so they would just live without any rules. The word antinomian actually means against law or those who are lawless. Lawlessness is the idea that there are no boundaries for living. That was their creed. There are no boundaries for how you live. God's commands don't matter as long as your spirit isn't engaged when the flesh obeys. Warren Wiersbe said this about lawlessness. He said, lawlessness or independence of the law of God is the very essence of sin. If a believer decides to live an independent life, how can he possibly walk in fellowship with God? Good statement. Lawlessness, the idea that there are no boundaries, is the very essence of sin, which is why this claim has a problem. If I say I have fellowship with Him, if we say we have fellowship with Him, I'm going deeper with the Lord, but I'm walking in darkness. I am living outside God's boundaries. He says, we lie and do not the truth. We are telling a falsehood. We are misleading people, either myself or others, I'm, or both. And we are not doing the truth. Now, John is going to do this all throughout the letter. He's going to throw a claim that Christians make at times, and then he's going to show the problem with the claim when it doesn't match up with our actions. He's going to explain that Christianity is not a talk, it's a walk. So he's going to say repeatedly throughout this letter, if we say this, but we live in a way that's opposite, there's a problem. And he's going to do this with various issues. And he's starting here with our fellowship with God. And another thing he's going to do frequently, we're going to see this word do. 
and it refers not to a one-time action, but it refers to a practice or a behavior or a way of life. He says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, he says, then we're not practicing behaving or acting in truth. We are lying to ourselves and to others. To claim to have a close relationship with God when my conduct and behavior is in the darkness is both a mental and practical disconnect. In other words, there's something wrong with how I'm doing life when I claim that all is good between me and God, and yet God's going one way, and I'm going the opposite direction. Now, while I hope none of us would take the antinomian view that there are no boundaries, John is concerned that his listeners, you and me, might slip into the mindset that thinking we can still love God while rejecting His commands, rejecting His boundaries for living. And so, if you're here this morning and you're claiming that you have a close relationship with God, but you're living life in the sphere of darkness, in sin, evil, lies, death, that's where your life is, he says, your claim isn't true no matter what you think or how you feel. I have very often, very often is probably, that's a strong word, it is not uncommon for me when I will address someone's sin for them to say, well, I've prayed about it and God says it's okay. And we're kind of horrified when we hear that statement, but the reality is it's very easy to do something like that because when you feel God around you or you feel like you're close to God, we can use that as an excuse for our behavior and say, well, I guess he's not really bothered by this, even though he comes out in his word and says he is. Now, when we read this, it's like, it's kind of a punch in the gut. If I say I have fellowship with God, but I'm walking in darkness, I'm lying. It's not true. John, when he says this, he's not being mean or harsh or legalistic. Remember, just read a few verses earlier. He's already said, I want you guys to share in this close relationship I have with Jesus. I want you to experience joy that remains full at all times, no matter what life throws your way. John wants us to be blessed. So he's not up here just, he's not trying to whip us into shape. He's trying to get our attention. If I've deceived myself or I've been deceived by others into thinking it's okay to ignore God's boundaries. He's trying to get our attention. If we have deceived ourselves or been deceived by others into thinking that God is fine when I mix darkness with my relationship with Him. And so, if you are ignoring God's boundaries or justifying crossing them in some way, but still think you and God are close, John wants you to wake up right at the start of his letter. Like he wants you at the very start so you can start going deeper with the Lord. He wants to get this block out of the way. He says, I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience all God has for you. I want your joy to be full. So let's get anything that's going to get in the way out of the way right at the start. Because doing life like verse 6 describes, will keep you from being close with God. And it could even be evidence that you've never gotten right with God. Part of knowing that you know that you know that you know that you're saved is ensuring you're not lying to yourself. One pastor I know when he was going over 1 John, he said, John wrote this letter to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Right? It is. 
If I've grown comfortable because I think, well, I go to church a couple times a month and, or every Sunday or any time the doors are open and, and I serve in this ministry or this ministry and, and then I read my Bible during the week and I pray and somehow we comfort ourselves with those things when in reality I'm walking in darkness, John wants to be like, I don't want you to be comfortable. I want you to wake up. Sometimes when I, I won't say which child, but Sometimes when I go to wake up one of my children, the response is first, eh, and then you poke some more, and it's, eh. I'm trying. I'm continue poking and prodding and shaking and moving because I need them to get out of bed. And that's kind of what the Lord's doing here. I mean, John's doing here. And the Lord through John, he says, I love you. I care about you. Wake up. Wake up. I don't want to move. I don't want you to be comfortable where you are. Because where you are is not where you need to be right now. I should never grow comfortable in darkness. Instead, I should want to bring my deeds into the light so that if they are evil, God can deal with them. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. In contrast, to walking in darkness and being out of, out of fellowship with God, John says there's another path that he, he believes he'll see in the church. Again, this word, but if, the word if here is that same type of conditional clause, same type of if-then statement. John thinks it very likely that some in the church will live and conduct their lives in the light, that he'll show up to a church and there'll be some who are a lot of talk but no walk, and then others who are walking with the Lord. And that's what the word walk means, how we live, how we conduct our lives. If I live or if I should conduct my life in the light, as he is in the light, there are special blessings. Now notice in verse 7, this individual does not make any claims. This verse describes actions, not talk, not words. As I said earlier, John is going to address what we claim or say multiple times in his letter, but John makes clear at the beginning of his letter that the Christian life is about a walk more than a talk. It's fascinating to me when people are always want to know what limelight figures, whether they're athletes or politicians or celebrities from in the entertainment industry, they want to know what's your religion, what do you believe, and, and they want to know all these things talk. Christian life is a walk more than a talk. Warren Risby said this. He said, this walk begins with a step of faith when we trust Christ as our Savior. Walking involves progress, and Christians are supposed to advance in their spiritual life. Just as a child must learn to walk and must overcome many difficulties in doing so, a Christian learns to walk in the light. And the fundamental difficulty involved in that is this matter of sin. When we get saved, we don't all of a sudden stop sinning. (laughs) We don't all of a sudden magically become perfect where we never struggle, we never get tempted, and we never give in and fail again. So the part here is not that we stop sinning. When we talk about walking in the light, it's the idea of progressing in our walk with the Lord, progressing in our relationship with the Lord, which means we are progressing away from darkness and closer to Jesus. So what does it mean to walk in the light? 
It means to walk in the light. God is light. So it means to walk in his presence, not hiding anything, but open and honest before him and with a desire to emulate him, to be like him. That's what it means to walk in the light. And I need to do so. I need to walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light or like he exists in the light, God doesn't have to walk in light because it's who he is. He is light. And when I become a Christian, he brings me to his side. He calls me out of darkness and he brings me over into his marvelous light. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul describes this when he says, he says in Colossians 1.13, referring to Jesus, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us, transferred us under the kingdom of his dear son. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus has rescued us. The Father has brought us in Christ out of the power of darkness and to his side. And so now that I'm a Christian, I need to stay there by his side and not return to darkness. So what does it mean to not return to darkness, to walk in the light? I love what Ironside says. He says, notice it does not say if we walk according to the light, but it says if we walk in the light. It is where you walk, not how you walk. What does he mean by that? What he means is this. Walking in the light does not mean that I'm always living in such a way that I'm only in fellowship with God when I haven't done anything to affect my fellowship with God. Let me say that again. Walking in the light doesn't mean that I live in such a way that I am only in fellowship with God when I haven't done anything to affect my fellowship with God. Walking in the light is not a matter of, well, I'm holding on, I haven't made any mistakes, so I'm still in the light, I still have fellowship with God. No, that is not walking in the light. Walking in the light does not mean that I'm only cleansed when I'm not doing anything that needs cleansing. The whole idea here, we're going to get to a minute, of the blessing that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus if we walk in the light, it implies that there's a need to be cleansed still. Proverbs 28.13, I think, sums it up really well. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whosoever covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall have mercy. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. We will get into the importance of confessing our sins to God next week when we get to verses 8 through 10 and then verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. But for now, understand that living in the light isn't about never sinning again. It's about staying close to the Lord even when we do fall short. And when I'm living in light, in God's presence, not hiding, covering up, excusing, justifying my sin, there are two wonderful blessings that come from it. Number one, it says we have fellowship one with another. The word here, one with a phrase one with another, it means to be together with someone or in the company of someone in a reciprocal way. Have you ever been in a one-sided relationship? You know, like you want to be friends with somebody and you're constantly, you know, whatever, and there's just no reciprocation from them. 
You know, or maybe like when you were younger and you, know, and you had your eye on that girl or had your eye on that boy and you thought, I'm going to say hi. I'm going to you know, try to hang out with them. I'm going to try to get to know them better. And they're just not having it. That is not what's described here. This is not a one-sided relationship. Both participants in this one-with-another relationship, both of them are eager to be in each other's company. They're eager to spend time together in a close association. Now, based on verse 6, the most immediate context, since that talks about our fellowship with God, it makes the most sense to me to say that this is talking about our fellowship with God. One with another refers to us and the Lord. But because John did say in verse 3 that his desire is for his readers to have fellowship with other believers, some believe or say and teach that he's talking about our relationship with other believers here. I don't know which one it is. I have my opinion. I already shared that. But whichever it is, the point is clear. A real, meaningful relationship with God or with other believers requires me to be honest with myself, honest with others, and honest with God. If I want to have a real, genuine relationship with God that I'm going deeper with Him, it requires me to be honest with myself, honest with others, and honest with God. And if you want to have a real, deep, meaningful relationship that is moving ahead with someone who's your brother or sister in Christ, you have to be honest with yourself, honest with others, and honest with God. You cannot go deeper when that's not the case. You and I cannot be living in unrepentant sin or hiding our sin or excusing our sin. I can't. I have found the Lord. <laughs> he is tenacious when it comes to dealing with us on things. Like when the Lord wants to deal with me on something, Will, I want to talk to you about how you're handling being a husband or a dad or a Christian or how you handled that work situation or how you yelled at Pastor Tom the other day or how I want to talk to you about that. If I respond to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I'm just really not up for talking about that right now. Like, I'm not, I don't want to deal with that right now. Like, I got good reasons for why I did what I did, why I said what I said. The Lord's not going to go, okay, well, let's, let's go have tea. That's not how he works. I have found that every time I try to like circle around and avoid this thing that God wants to talk about, the Lord just kind of like, still here, I still want to talk about this. And we're not going to continue going further until we do. I remember one time I went to a, a pastor's conference out in California, and <clears throat> I got to the conference. I was all excited to be there. And first teaching, you know, was, this first session was amazing. The Bible teaching was incredible. And I, intellectually, I thought, man, that was great. But inside, I felt like the guy threw the message at my heart, and it just went, dunk, dunk. And I was like, what is that? That's weird. I must be tired, jet lag from the flight. And then the next teaching came out, and it was the same exact thing. I was like, this is good stuff. But it felt like it didn't penetrate my heart at all. It just bounced off. And I was like, this is not good. Like, what is going on with me? And they had a little tiny chapel on the campus there. And, and I'm like, Lord, I got to go, deal with this. I'm not going to waste my entire week with a hard heart. We need to talk. And so I and you got in there, and I spent like about an hour with the Lord asking him to show me, like, what's going on with my heart? And here's the funny part. At the end of that hour when the Lord said, Will, two years ago you committed this to me and you haven't been doing it. And when I want to talk to you about it, you don't want to talk about it. And guess what my reaction was when he said that to me? I said, you know what, Lord, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's what the problem was. He's like, well, I, I'm not going to just ignore that. 
Like if you say that you have fellowship with me and now you're walking in darkness, we have a problem. There's a disconnect here. We can't just go deeper. We can't just move forward in our relationship. We need to talk about this. And so I wrestled with the Lord for another hour in that little tiny chapel. Thank God nobody else walked in. This is arguing with the Lord. I'm like, God, I've got good reasons why I haven't done this. And you know the situation. You know what's going on. The Lord's like, I do know all those things. But I know this is what I called you to do. And you told me you'd do it. And you're not doing it. Thankfully, I finally recommitted that to the Lord. And the rest of the week was great. He is tenacious in his love for us. He wants to go deeper with us. And so, no, he's not going to just move on to another topic. We need to be honest with ourselves, honest with others, and honest with him. We cannot be living in unrepentant sin or hiding our sin or excusing and justifying our sin. So I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of relationship with God? One where it's honest and open. Are you clear with God? Like when he, when he calls you out on stuff and he convicts you and the spirit of God is challenging you, you know, do you come into the light and let the Lord deal with it? Or do you push them away, or do you cover it up, or do you seek to justify it? Do you have that honest, open relationship with God, or is your relationship with God more external, more about form and function? I just need to make sure I do this, this, and this, and that'll be enough. Because if it is, you're walking in darkness. And what about your relationship with other believers? Is it open? Is it honest? Or... Is it about form and function again? You know, it's very, how are you doing? Praise the Lord, or blessed and highly favored. All the things that we can say, and I'm not saying they're bad to say those things, but like if that's not the reality of your your life right now, then don't just say that. Now, I'm not telling you like your first time you meet somebody and they say, how are you doing? And you go, I've been living in like unrepentant sin for the last three weeks. I'm not saying that's what your response should be to every person you meet. But the point is, is you need to have somebody, somebody that asks how you're doing, and you go, I've been living in unrepentant sin for the last three weeks. Me and my wife have been arguing for the last month, and I've been justifying it. And I feel far from God right now. I know things aren't okay, but I've been trying to pretend like it's okay. If you don't have anybody like that, or you don't have multiple people like that in your life, you're walking in darkness. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God or with other believers, it's time to come out of the darkness and walk in the light. A common complaint every church hears is, I want to find those kind of relationships, but no one wants one with me. I love John here. He says, when I go into a church, any church, I'm expecting to find some verse 6 people and some verse 7 people. I'm expecting that. I'm going to walk in, and we're going to have both types inside the church. Those who are walkers and those who are only talkers. And if John didn't abandon the churches in his day because they had some talkers that weren't walkers, then who are we to abandon the church? If you're struggling to find meaningful, honest relationships, then my challenge to you is be the person described in verse 7. And don't get discouraged when you run into someone who's more like verse 6. Most of us at some point have been like the person described in verse 6. John didn't describe that kind of person to write them off. It's, he didn't write this so like the church, a church would get the letter and he'd be like, all right, you, you, and you need to go. You're verse 6 people. 
That's not why he wrote the letter, you know? You know, it's not like, you know, that we're changing our name. It is now 1 John 5, 7, Church of Ephesus. Like 1 John 1, 7, Church of Ephesus. If there's six people, find somewhere else to go. That's not his heart here. He wrote this to call them, if you're in verse 6, to repentance. To leave the darkness behind and come into the light again. So you can experience that blessing of a close, honest relationship with God and with his people. The second blessing is here at the end of verse 7. And if we walk in the light as he is in light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this because, again, John's got Gnostics in mind. Remember the Docetic sect of the Gnostics? They taught that Jesus was a ghost, a phantom who floated on the air. Well, ghosts don't have blood. And he says here very clearly, the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a real flesh and blood man. And that blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us from all sin. We learned about this blessing. It's called redemption in Ephesians. When we were studying all those blessings in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, he says, in whom, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption. Redemption is needed because all of mankind was on the chopping block, enslaved to sin and awaiting execution. Leviticus 17.11 says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Only blood can redeem us from being on that chopping block, enslaved to sin and awaiting execution. Well, Jesus' blood, his life given on the cross, was the ransom money for all humanity. In 1 Timothy 4.10, Paul explains to Timothy, this is why we go through all these difficulties. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Jesus died for every human being. Doesn't matter. Every human being that has ever lived, he shed his blood, paid the ransom money for them. But that ransom is only effective for those who choose to trust in him. And when I choose to trust in Christ's work on the cross for my sin, his blood washes me clean forever of all my sin, past, present, and future. That means when I sin as a believer, I don't lose my salvation. I don't need to get born again again. But my response to my sin does affect my fellowship with God. I can't ignore it. I can't hide it. I can't excuse it. I can't walk in darkness with it. I can't do that and go deeper with the Lord. In contrast, if I walk in the light, that same blood which saved me is still working for me as it regards my fellowship with God. It is cleansing me from all sin. Now, the word to cleanse, it's definitely a reference. John's Jewish. It's a reference to the Old Testament idea of being unclean. It means to cleanse from ritual contamination or impurity. In the Old Testament, when a person became unclean, they didn't stop being an Israeli. It's not like we're like, you're not Jewish anymore. No, they just needed to be purified before they could return to the congregation, return to fellowship. Now, Jesus' blood is far superior to those Old Testament sacrifices in that it just doesn't forgive and restore a person for their current situation. It removes the impurity completely. Now, we'll talk about this more, and it will become more clear what that means when we look at verse 9 next week. But the idea here is when I walk in the light, Jesus' blood keeps me in fellowship with God even when I fail. 
We can keep going deeper with Him even though we sin. Isn't that an awesome truth? Because it means I can come to Him. I can, like Hebrews talks about, come boldly before His throne of grace that I might find grace and mercy to help in my time of need. It means that when I fail, I sin, I can come and confess my sin, and as we'll read later, that He is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that's why this blessing is so beautiful. This word for cleanse, it conveys the idea of continually purifies. We go through various stages of growth as Christians. I'm I'm 48. I've been saved since I was 12. Things that convict me now weren't even on my radar when I was first a Christian. But I still had fellowship with God back then as long as I was walking in the light. God's standard, it never moves. It never changes. It's always perfection. But even though I'm a work in progress, I can go deeper with Jesus each day as long as I walk in His presence, honest and open with Him. Never thinking that my sin's okay, but coming before His light, His scouring, perfect, exposing light that begins doing surgery on me as I confess my sin. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Ho, what if I fail really badly? I feel so much shame. How could God still want to have a relationship with me after what I've done? Well, like I said, next week we'll talk about the importance of confession of sin, what that means. But for now, know this. If you are in Christ, God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants that. He wants to go deeper with you. And He wants to show you how much He loves you in spite of the dirt and the grime and the shame. So come into the light. Stop hiding your sin. Stop excusing your sin. Repent. Stop pretending like you don't have a problem, or it isn't a problem, or maybe it's not as bad as someone else's problem. Stop going out and persisting in doing those things, but come into the light and confess it for what it is, trusting that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to not just preserve your relationship with God, but to allow you to go deeper in fellowship with Him too. Amen? I want to read the lyrics to a song to you this morning, so bear with me. I'd play the song for you, but it's a bit upbeat, and I know some of you aren't into that. The song is Look at Me by a band called The Waiting. It's written from the perspective of a Christian waking up early in the morning, reading their Bible in their bed when they first wake up, and the lyrics say this. Golden bars of sunlight come sneaking through the shutters, laying stripes on my back like a zebra. Sweaty fingers turning pages and clinging to the bed like it's a bride and I never want to leave her. Paul calls me a saint and the mattress shakes with laughter and the sheets let out a chuckle while the pillow holds one in. I don't believe a word I read, but the man is so convincing. Says you're calling me a winner of a game I never win. But with every word I read, I feel your eyes upon me and I don't mind at all. For I love the way you look at me the way you steer your eyes to see the bride beneath the harlot's skin, the virtue underneath the sin. I love the way you look at me when you lift the veil and you repeat your vow. I get up for the shower, wash and scrub and scour every part as if a cleaner man could better bear the shame. 
And now I move out into the sunlight, a frightened fool, for there's reason for my fright, for I'm a messenger who's forgetting why he came. But with every word I read, I feel your eyes upon me, and I don't mind at all, for I love the way you look at me, the way you steer your eyes to see the bride beneath the harlot's skin, the virtue underneath the sin. I love the way you look at me when you lift the veil and you repeat your vow. For when you look at me, you see every drop of blood you spent, like the color that comes creeping to my face. It is such sweet embarrassment to see the dowry that you paid for my cold embrace. But I will never let you go because I love the way you look at me. Let's all stand. Harry Ironside said this, if you come into his presence with your sins upon you in the day of judgment, it will mean that you'll be lost forever. But if you do it in this life, then you will find that though the light shows up all the corruption, all the iniquity, and all the wickedness, the blood is in the very place from which the light comes. There's nothing to be afraid of. The only thing that happens is you get cleaned up. If you don't know the Lord today, don't wait because that light will destroy you. But if you do, come, because that light will cleanse you. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful word. A great warning, Lord, we don't want to be those who say one thing and live differently. We don't want to be those who walk in darkness, Lord, we want to be those who walk in the light. And so we choose this morning to walk in the light as you're in the light. Lord, to not recognize, Lord, we not, you're not asking us, <laughs> Lord, to never fail. You're You're desiring us to walk open and honest with you, to walk in your presence, Lord, to come to you confessing our sin that you might wash and clean us. So, Lord, here we are. You know every heart this morning. There may be some, Lord, who've justified sin or have been hiding their sin or excusing their sin, walking in darkness. And, Lord, as they come now, I pray that your light it would scour, it would wash away, it would embrace and envelop that as they come, they would know that you're working in them, that you're changing them. Lord, we want to be like you, so we come in Jesus' name. Amen.